As we mentioned earlier, today marks the first Sunday of Advent, our new sermon series. And you know, I grew up in church, uh, but I grew up in a church where the term Advent was never really used. I don't know if anybody else grew up in that kind of a context where Advent became a newer term to me as I got older and started going to different churches. So I do want to take a moment and I, I want to give it a little explanation if it is something that isn't quite familiar to you. So this season of Advent in the church calendar, it begins a season of anticipation and hope and longing, both as we look back in the story surrounding Jesus's birth, but also as we now in present times look forward to him coming again in glory. And so that's what we're going to work through today specifically is this idea of longing, longing both the people of the time of Jesus's birth, what they were experiencing, but then us here in the 21st century. So we're going to head back to our passage because we've just been introduced to a few characters, a few scenarios, and it's really going to set the stage for what we're going to talk about here over the next few weeks as we culminate with the birth of Jesus. So we're going to approach things in two big sections. The first thing that I really want to do is talk through the story itself. I want to take the scripture chunk by chunk, and we're really going to walk through the reality that they were living in this time. And then we're going to take a look practically here in the 21st century of what that means. There's going to be a lot in this story. And as we read it, you might have already thought, boy, there sure isn't a lot that practically applies to me here in 2021. Angels visiting people, uh, awaiting a Messiah to be born, uh, going into the sanctuary to burn incense. But there are going to be some things that we can really take and we can apply to our lives now from this passage. So let's begin reading again as we take things in chunks. We're going to start here in verse 5. We'll go through 7. So in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. So here in this passage, we are introduced to Herod. Herod was a Roman-appointed king in Judea. He was also called Herod the Great. He was king from like 37 BC to around 4 BC. We meet Zechariah. He's a Jew and he's a priest from this particular line of priests that you heard of Abijah, going back years and years and years to, to the priesthood and the order of priests. And then Elizabeth, who's also a Jew from the descendants of Aaron, Aaron being the brother of Moses. So we're going to come back to this in a moment, but I do want to read forward. So verse 8, when his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Now, check this out. Prior to the angel showing up, this was a completely ordinary, nondescript, run-of-the-mill, very normal day with very normal things happening. Very typical 
in the life of Zechariah there in about 5 BC. He's fulfilling his priestly duties. He's doing the things he normally does. There's no sign or any magic in the air that something's about to happen. But, but here's where things get a little more interesting. You see, it wasn't just any day in the life of Zechariah because these line of priests that he was in, there were 24 of them, and they typically served for one week twice a year. So as we even come into this story, it's already a little unique, and it happens to be the time that he's serving there in his priestly duties. And, and even more than that, they're coming to the point where it's time to select who will go into the sanctuary to burn incense to God, and then they do what is essentially the Old Testament version of rolling dice or drawing straws, and it lands on Zechariah that he's the one that's going to go in there. So look, I don't know how many times that would have happened to him. I don't know if he got to be the incense guy a lot. I don't know the story there, but at a minimum, this was probably a special thing for him to be able to go in and burn the incense. He was gonna be the only one that was in there, just as the text says. So he goes in, he lights the incense. Everyone is outside praying. He's the only one in there and an angel appears to him. So if you're like me, if you've read the Bible at all, you've probably heard or read some story that has an angel in it. So it can make us think that this is a commonplace thing that happens. Whether you think of this story, whether you think of, at a minimum, you've heard the story of the angel coming to Mary and saying, hey, you're going to be with child. He's going to be the Messiah. You've heard of that story. So it's easy for us to breeze past the immensity of this here. You see, angels weren't just showing up on the scene every other day. This wasn't the, the fourth sighting of an angel in the room of incense that week. And so it's a commonplace thing to happen. No, this is a really, really big deal. And it's worth noting here, and we're going to talk even more about this later, this is a rarity of rarities in that at this time that we're reading this story, it had been 400 years since there had even been a prophet in the midst of God's people. So they've gone 400 years, generations upon generations upon generations of people who in mass had never heard a word from the Lord. So now we have an angel showing up on the scene as Zechariah is going in to burn incense. It's probably even not too out of the realm of possibility to think that sometime in Zechariah's life, because it had been so long since there had been a prophet to God's people in their midst in Israel, that he probably had thought to himself at least once, is God still with us? Is he still at work? Has, has his spirit left us? You know, we're under Roman rule God's prophets are long dead and gone. And he would have been like the fourth or fifth generation of people who would have conceptually thought some of these things. We weren't around the prophets. These stories have been told to us for hundreds of years about Messiah, about his coming, about God being in our midst. And then boom, there's an angel standing in front of him. And then verse 12 says this as you, you would guess it would. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. And so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna assume that Gabriel, the angel in this situation, was uh, not 
one of the floating, chubby, childlike baby angels that we imagine in our minds sometimes. He's probably more of the warrior type that didn't look like he should be messed with, so he shows up on the scene, and you would be afraid. And Gabriel says to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. This is verse 13. Don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So I'm trying to imagine what Zechariah is feeling in this moment. So here I am standing before an angel of God, already something that doesn't happen on a regular basis. And its message to me is that my wife and I are going to have a son. This can't, this can't happen. And he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll be like Elijah, one of the great prophets of old. You were sent here to speak specifically to me about this. Wait a minute. He's gonna prepare a way for the Lord. Are you talking about the Messiah, my son, is going to be a precursor and usher in the Messiah. How can I know this? Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So in this moment right here, you have Zechariah in a split second experiencing the full weight and anticipation of longing. And he's feeling it in a multitude of ways. He's experiencing it on a personal level, as well as the level of a whole nation. Think about it. His people have not heard from God through a prophet in 400 years, but now it's happening. And we've been promised a Messiah for ages, and now you're talking to me about it? I've heard the stories of old since I was a child, but, but it's unbelievable. And he's feeling it in his personal life, and that he and his wife have been unable to bear children and are of an age now where it would seem out of the question to have children, but now it's happening? And our son is going to prepare the way for the Lord? And look, it's, it's easy for us on this side of things to, to hear these God-ordained things that the angel says to him, and we kind of get on this side of things like, hey, when an angel shows up on the scene, you should just believe what it's saying because they probably sit in the midst of God and you just need to like internalize it and not ask a bunch of questions. Like our, our question is like, why would your first thing be, uh, but I'm too old? Hello, he's a messenger from God. He can, do, he can tell you what's gonna happen. Um, you'd say the same thing that he did. Uh, I was thinking a lot about the idea of this the other day, Sam and I, Sam Burke, Sam was up here playing keyboards earlier. Uh, Sam and his wife, Bonnie, and their little girl, Caroline, were one of the families that moved with us and some others from Louisville, Kentucky, out here to help start Storyline Church. Um, and I met Sam in April of 2017. And he and I, the other day, were sitting right back there in those chairs, 
And we were just talking about how crazy the last four and a half years have been. And would you ever have thought that this could have happened? You remember, we, I mean, this was like last week we were talking about this. Like, and I said, Sam, what if on the night, I can remember the night we first met. We were, it was kind of like a guy's hangout night through our community group. Uh, and so Sam, uh, actually his wife Bonnie, reached out and was like, hey, we're thinking about coming to your group. Hey, it's a guy's night. Sam's welcome to come. Great, he's gonna show up. So Sam shows up. I said, Sam, what would we have thought if you and I from now could come back to April 2017 and be like, hey, Andy, Sam, we're you. We're from 2021. We wanna give you guys a heads up about what's gonna go down over the next four and a half years. And then if we proceeded to explain what was gonna happen over the next four years, a million things, including moving to St. Louis, we would not be like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's totally gonna happen. Yeah, we know exactly how that happened. No, we'd be like, we can't conceive of how this would take place. So, so here Zechariah is standing in front of the angel and the angel says in verse 19, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized he'd seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. So, so Zechariah expresses his disbelief at what's just been told to him. So Gabriel, the angel, has to explain who he is, restates, hey, I've been sent by God. I'm in God's presence. I'm here to tell you this specific thing. Uh, and in his unbelief, Zechariah gets made to where he can't speak until all of these things come to pass. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't know exactly why that was sort of a pseudo punishment to him in that moment that he was to be made mute. And some folks even think he was made deaf as well, possibly. Um, but, but there are some writers and some scholars that say maybe it was because he verbally expressed his disbelief to the angel that he was made to be silent until these things came to be so he simply couldn't express disbelief anymore. Whatever the cause is, Zechariah has to go back out, back to regularly scheduled programming, to the responsibilities that he has, and he's now unable to speak and he has to convey all this to everyone what's just happened to him in the sanctuary. So it says there that everyone had been waiting on him. He hadn't been in there for a normal amount of time, but, but fortunately he's able to communicate with them. He's able to in some general sense let them know what has happened and then he just goes about his normal duties and he finishes out his service. But then he has to go back home. Back home where he has to make sense of all this to his wife, Elizabeth. His wife, Elizabeth, who hasn't experienced any of this fantastical visitation. His wife, Elizabeth, who was not present for any of the drama that ensued afterward. Elizabeth, who all she's going to hear is that after all these years, God is going to bless us with a child. You know, there's, there's a lot about this story, as I mentioned earlier, that's really difficult to connect with how we experience life. 
there's a, there's a lot of a, there's a really, really incredible spiritual element and these fantastical things that don't happen to us on a daily basis. But this is where it touches our lives and our desires and our longing. Let's read on in verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So I think it's important to stop here and among all the the other incredible things that have happened in these verses, the absolute crazy several days that Zechariah must have had with his encounter with the angel. We have two verses here that are essentially a woman's prayer realized and her praise to God for his goodness to her. Can you imagine what she must have thought when Zechariah first explained to her what happened? And in the midst of learning about the angel and wrapping her head around the fact that her husband can't speak now, she gets the news that she is going to have a child. And, and, and I don't know exactly how old they, they are in this story as we're reading these verses, but they're definitely of an age where it would seem literally inconceivable that this could happen. It's out of the question at this point in their life. How many days do you think Elizabeth spent praying in her younger years for a child? How many sleepless and tear-filled nights do you think she had as she watched her friend's kids grow up and start to have lives of their own? And then she gets this news And just as our scripture tonight says, she spends five months keeping it to herself, staying secluded away from everyone else. And just imagine as she's keeping herself away from everybody, she starts to see her belly begin to grow. And then the baby kick and move and she realizes this is real. This is really happening. Praise be to God. The Lord has looked on me with favor. I want to finish up our time tonight with two questions for you. So we've talked a lot about the story of it all. And I want to move now to two big questions. I think it's a good time for the first one. The first question for you tonight is what are you longing for? What are you anticipating? What is a desire that you have yet to see realized in your life? You know, thinking about our passage, Sarah, my wife and I, we've had some really close friends that have struggled with not being able to have children, much, much like we've talked about here in these scriptures. Um, maybe not near to the extent that Elizabeth had, but we've had friends for four, five, six years trying every available method that modern medicine and modern science has. We have friends that have seen that longing realized. Five, six years of trying, feeling like it was never going to be a reality, and they have a child. And and I'm thinking of some particular people that are now on their third after, I can remember sometimes sitting with them and praying and hearing their voices and seeing their tears, Well, we just simply thought it wasn't going to happen. It's an absolute blessing from the Lord. It feels unbelievable, but what a sweet gift. And we also have other friends who who haven't seen that longing realized. 
There's a pain and an uncertainty and a wondering why with that kind of longing, that kind of desire that's not yet realized. Is that what you're longing for? Maybe your longing isn't necessarily personal. Maybe your longing is, is a more societal longing. It's more community-based longing. You see the division and the unrest and the spirit of oppression within our society. You long for the days when things will be made right. It's just bad a lot of times right now. It doesn't really matter what side of the political spectrum you fall on. Sometimes it feels like there's this weird dark cloud over America right now, over our systems of commerce, over the White House, over the Capitol building. It just feels like there's some sort of oppressive nature over us societally right now. You can flip on the news. You can go through your social media feed. I don't have to give you the examples. You can see the examples. We think about the evil way that non-white people groups have been treated in our country throughout history and the way it seems really difficult for us to talk about that a lot of times. Maybe you're really passionate about these things and that's where you feel unrest. That's where you feel longing. That's where you feel a desire that is simply not yet realized. And look, you're not in bad company either. I mean, during Advent, we retell the story of Jesus' birth. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. And that is God coming into flesh to fulfill the long-awaited prophecy of a Messiah. But, but here's the thing when we think about longing. It, it wasn't like 50 years before the story we'll reading, that's when people started kind of murmuring about a Messiah. Do you see what I mean? Sometimes we can read the Bible and it can be easy to think that everything happened kind of in like a 200-year span of time. Like you can flip a page in the Old Testament and generations go by in terms of how we're reading, but, but I want you to see in perspective as we think back to our story and this longing for a Messiah, I, I want you to think about this timeline for a minute. From And, and timelines can be weird. This is like the best guess that scholars can make about exact years and things. But from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, when the first promise that God made to crush the head of the serpent, to Noah and the ark and the flood was probably over a thousand years worth of time that went by. From Noah and the flood to when God promises Abraham that he will have many descendants, that's probably another 500 years apart. From Abraham to Moses leading God's people out of, of capture in Egypt, that was probably another 500 years between those things. From Moses to David becoming king of Israel, everyone knows David, David and Goliath, the Psalms, that's another 400 years. And from David to the prophet Isaiah, to where we get so many of the concrete prophecies that point to the Jesus that's gonna be born in a few weeks as we move through our series, that was probably another 250 to 300 years. And from Isaiah to the story we're talking about today was about 700 years. That's a huge span of time. The generations upon generations upon generations would have heard the stories being told to them about a Messiah 
There's something coming. God is going to redeem his people. He's going to bring his people together. It's coming, it's coming. Generation after generation, seeing probably no sign that this is occurring. And look, longing isn't a wrong or a bad thing. I want to be clear about that. In fact, most of the time, the longings and anticipations and desires that we have is for something that's positive. It's for a good thing, right? That's why you care about it. I'd say most of the time, it's not the longing itself that gets misplaced. So that that brings me to my second question for you tonight. Where are you placing your hope and where are you finding your strength in the midst of longing? During the waiting, when it feels unbearable, when you simply feel like you can't go on, when you don't see a way out, when you have no idea how you're going to get through the next week in whatever it is that you're longing for and that you're desiring, how are you finding hope so that you don't fall into despair? It's hard, right? It's hard. A lot of the things we long for aren't just ticky-tack things. There's some big things that we're desiring and longing for as individuals, as people. Longing and desire and anticipation are by nature acts that only occur during a time when, when what you want to see happen and experience presently isn't happening. So what do you do? Do you just, do you just try to push through? Do you just push through? I don't need to think about it. I don't need to... I don't need to flesh these ideas out. I just need to push through. If you're looking for societal structure, looking for societal change, are you you looking to earthly leaders, the next politician, the next piece of legislation, the, the, next, the next thing that can come down governmentally, that's going to be the thing that really does it for us. That's going to be the thing that, that really, really realizes my longing. Um, depending on what you're longing for, have you, have you turned to some more unsavory things? Things that numb you and make you feel like you don't have to feel anything. That the thing you're longing for, the desire that's unrealized, you'd rather really just not feel anything. You turn to things that, that help you to not feel anything. I need you to know that you're not the only one who's waiting for something. You're not the only one who's longing and desiring something. The whole world is. And this time of year, this Advent season, this Christmas season, it's actually put on display more than ever throughout the year, but we don't really think about it like that. I want you to think about how many Christmas songs talk about a wish coming true, having our dreams realized, having no worries. And these are like the regular happy, jolly Christmas songs. These aren't even the spiritual ones. Check out some of these lyrics from popular Christmas songs. They're not going to be on the screen, but you'll know these. So the song, happy holidays, while the merry bells keep ringing, may your every wish come true. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. And the next stanza, next year, all our troubles will be miles away. The Christmas waltz. It's that time of year when the world falls in love. Every song you hear seems to say, Merry Christmas, 
May your new year dreams come true. Look, longing, desire, a dream to be realized, these are the popular songs that everyone is gonna be singing over the next month. Everybody has something they're looking for. Everybody has something that they're longing for. And that's why I think it's one of the reasons why this season is so incredible. That without many people even realizing it, maybe without you even realizing it, I don't know where everyone is in their faith walk with Jesus right now. Nearly everyone's heart is open during this one month period to the good news and the hope that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're singing songs about God and sinners being reconciled in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. They're singing lyrics that call Jesus Lord. The Charlie Brown Christmas special has an entire section where they walk through the birth narrative of Jesus. They shine a spotlight right on the stage and talk about Jesus. It's the one time of year where he's on the tongue of almost everybody who celebrates Christmas. So what part do we play as the church to a waiting and a longing world? What part do we play with each other as brothers and sisters who are longing and have desires that have not yet realized? Well, here's what I think it is. I think we have to be diligent to remind the world and remind ourselves that the little baby that we're gonna talk about in a few weeks, that baby born in a manger, didn't stay a baby. Amen? The longing of the world yesterday, today, and forever does not simply rest upon the fact that a baby was born. Sam said this earlier. The longing and the hope of the world rests in the fact that that baby grew and lived a perfect life as both man and God. He who was without sin became sin on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to perish and he died a death he didn't deserve so that we could be reconciled to God, just as the song says. Then he rose from the grave, just like he said he would, and now sits in heaven, awaiting the day when he will return for a second time in glory. I want to read a scripture to you here. It won't be on the screen. So I want to read a scripture to you here. Uh that's where you can place your rest. So in all the longing that we have, no matter what that is, uh, there could be a, a multitude of things that you're longing for and that you desire. And just like the people of Israel for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years waiting for the Messiah, well, many of them didn't know it, didn't see it, weren't there to realize it, but here it is. We're starting to talk about that story now when he came and was made flesh and the Messiah did come to live on earth. Just like that longing was there, here's where our hope is. I'm gonna read from the book of Revelation. And this is if if the longing of the people of Israel culminated in the Christ coming, in the Messiah coming, this is where ours culminates in this vision right here. This is Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. 
I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And he said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. You might see your longings and desires realized in this life. It might happen. It might be right around the corner and you just can't see it yet. It might be a month from now. It might be years from now. It might be there. You might get that wonderful gift of seeing that longing and that dream realized. It might not happen. And I don't know the reasons why. I can't give you a checklist of, well, here's why, here's why this person received this gift and this person didn't, and here's why this person's dream was never realized and this person's was. I don't know the answers to that. I know that God is good, and I know that from what I just read there, this life is a small sliver of time. When we feel a lot of things, and we experience a lot of things, some of those things are good, and some of those things aren't so good. But there is an eternity coming when every tear is wiped away, and everything is made new. And that's where you can take your rest. You can take your rest in that Jesus who grew up and died for you and was raised again. So in those moments where you may feel like you can't go on, and you don't see an end to the longing, you can put your burden on him, and he will be good to carry it for you. Let's pray together.